get Stephen Cluxton this morning, Ashling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can retire. This is your future. No, re- no pressure. Thanks, David. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go up and uh, find out what room he is. Knock on the door. OTB AM. Live. Weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. And you're welcome back to Off The Ball here on News Talk for your Sunday. John Duggan sitting in for Joe Malloy until 6, as well as listening to your radio here now. You can also watch us as well on our live streams on YouTube and Facebook. So Ireland beat Italy 33-17 in the first of the Bank of Ireland series games at Lansdowne Road last night. Caelan Darris played at open side flanker. He gave a man-of-the-match display, scoring two of Ireland's five tries. The others came from Stuart McCluskey and the props Dave Kilcoyne and Keane Healy. Jack Crowley kicked three conversions, so Kieran Frawley got the other. In terms of injuries, Craig Casey, Jack Conan, Jimmy O'Brien, they all picked up knocks, but hopefully no serious damage done. We're joined on the line to talk through the game by the former Irish internationals James Downey and Gordon Darcy. James, what did you make of it? Um, hi, John. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, as far as games go, you weren't going to expect a, a classic out there. I think it was a case of job done, move on to the to the next one because um, we saw little bits of uh, what they're trying to achieve, I guess. I think it's great to see Jack Crowley get a good run at 10 as well uh, and control it, even though he played 15 second half. But look, they just need to get out there, get through it. They hadn't played since the Six Nations game against England on the 18th of March. So for them, just to get out there, I think it's been a, a long couple of weeks for the squad and just to get some game time into the legs and into the bodies and hit someone other than the lads have been hitting the training the whole time. Look, it's the first step. I wouldn't read too much into how uh, the whole evening went. I thought the first half was very good. Second half, not so much, but I like. I wouldn't be worrying too much about it. For me, it's, it's getting the minutes in the leg, getting to see some of these players, especially the fringe players last night who are really pushing for inclusion to how they get on. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was, look, job done. You mentioned the injuries there, John, and you're in the intro there. And uh, that's got, always going to be the concern coming into a World Cup that someone picks up a knock and it's kind of nearly inevitable that someone someone goes down. But got through last night, scrappy in parts. But um, they go off to Portugal. I think they play potentially play Portugal over there and, and try and get some, some more minutes in the legs and get some, uh, maybe even Johnny Sexton, get some game time over there. That seems to be the consensus from the papers today that Sexton will play in that uh, non-official game against Portugal. Do you sense that Andy Farrell knows who his number 10 backup is yet, James? Um, do you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think he knows what Ross can do. Um, he knows yeah. when Ross can come in and control the game and he's he's very comfortable with Ross. I just think he needs to see a little bit more Jack to have that little bit more confidence in him. Um, I know yesterday, and people have spoken about it a bit, and I agree with this sentiment that I'd nearly have Jack on the bench ahead of a Ross, but I'd start Ross if that was the other way around. Like I'd prefer to start Ross in a game and control it a bit more and then have Jack coming on. But I think if Johnny Sexton's starting, um, I do think that we need maybe something else coming off the bench. If if it's not going to be kind of Ross, I think Jack Crowley would be the person to come off the bench. So what does he have that maybe might be a little bit different? Oh, I just think it's that attacking prowess that he has. Like he was even last night, he's such a threat the whole time with ball in hand. And I'm not saying that Ross isn't at all, but I just think he brings that little bit more. I think Ross controls the game a lot more, but I just think that Jack has that um, little bit more to open up a defence, to unlock a defence. Like if we're not going to, obviously Joey Carby's not involved. He was normally that type of player who'd come on if we were chasing a game or we needed something else out of it. 
where he would lo- look to unlock a defence, but you can bring him on and look to him to, to really have a go with someone like him coming on, you know, and I just think it's heads up rugby as we saw bits last night. He's not afraid to have a go. He puts his tackles in and he can make something happen out of nothing, which you may need. We saw him go to 15 as well, James, in the second half with Kieran Frawley coming on. Where does Frawley stand in the Irish picture at the moment, do you think? Oh, it, it, it's a tough one for Kieran. I think he's kind of fallen between a few stools because of his uh, versatility and being able to play midfield, being able to play 10 and being able to play 15. So it was interesting last night you saw when he came on, he went into 10 and Crowley went 15, but they were playing as two playmakers and they were jumping in and out and uh, a 10 and first receiver and second receiver both times, even having it left and right, which is a nice weapon to have. Where is he, Kieran? Oh, I, I just think it's difficult. I'm kind of wondering, is it... Uh, a little bit too late for him, uh, having only got one game. But I guess Andy Farrell will see him day in, day out in training. Uh, he'll see everything he's bringing out there because when he does play, Frawley can unlock defences as well as Jack. You know, I think, and he has that more versatility perhaps to kind of swap around uh, in those positions. But maybe it's just a, a little bit too late for him. I think he's unlucky kind of in, in that he hasn't seen more in the Irish jersey. He was unlucky with the New Zealand tour where he got injured. Um, uh, but no, maybe just not seen enough of him to to put him on the plane for, uh, this time around. does feel, though, that there's a bit more optimism around the post-Sexton era than there might have been maybe a year or two ago because it's been this never-ending debate about, well, how are we going to cope ever again without Johnny? And we're just going to have to just jump off the cliff a bit about it, aren't we? Yeah, look, and I think it was like this conversation happened four years ago after the last World Cup. Who's going to replace Johnny in the next World Cup? And I think it's a case of um, Johnny is one of these people who's going to be irreplaceable, but that's going to be a new player that's going to come in there and, and put their own mark on it. I think we looked at after Rodge and, and Humphreys and um, we had all these quality players in, in the 10 position and to have someone then with Jack Crowley, who's young and um, full of exuberance as well as Crowley and, and Harry Byrne as well coming through and even Prendergast um, a bit behind there. So yeah, it is. It's exciting times to have other 10s coming through. I'm sure their focus isn't going to be on that, but you'd like to think in four years' time that there's some uh, very strong 10s we have uh, backing up. What did you make of Jacob Stockdale's performance last night, James? Um, I think he showed plenty of endeavour out there last night. Uh, his first game in two years, two and a half years maybe. Um, plenty of nerves there, I'm sure, from he did everything he was asked of him, I think. I think he needed to show more by coming off the wing, um, getting his hands on the ball, been more of a threat. He carried plenty of times uh, in double, well into double figures for carries. Um, I'm sure he racked up plenty of metres, probably near 200 metres when carrying. So he did all that was asked of him. His one little blip, I suppose, was the defend he received when uh, the Italian scored in the corner. That will frustrate him. He was pretty upright. That's one small little thing that could just sit in the coach's mind um, of what he's seen from him. But, I think he did. He did well in parts, you know. But again, is it is it is it enough? He'll have confidence from that. Jacob's a very much a confidence player. Um, as I said, he hasn't played in over two years for the for the national side. So for him to get those minutes, I'm sure I'll be happy to have those in the legs. But I think it's again another case of is a little bit too little, too late. When we think of Caelan Doris. Uh, <laughs> I suppose the feeling might have been before the game that we need cover for Josh van der Fleer if he ever does get injured at, at open side. And Caelan and was just outstanding last night, wasn't he, James? 
Oh, every time he plays, um, like you kind of go, he can't back up what he's done before. He's uh, a breath of fresh air, really, when he plays, you know, no matter where you play him. it's. I always sometimes think that when he plays at six, when they have him there, he's a little bit quieter when he goes to eight, but he even showed last night. I know he went to number eight now when, when Conan went off, but I just think that his, uh, his his footwork before contact is second to none. It gets through past the first man the whole time. His uh, appetite for work as well around breakdown. He gets turnovers, crucial turnovers. I know we always talk about Ty Byrne and turnovers, but last night I was very impressed with, with Doris and everything he does. Um, seems to be uh, golden at the moment. So, look, he's a top quality player that we have and we're lucky to have someone like that. And he said it last night, you know, he's been kind of learning from Josh a bit and, and how to play the role for him. I'm sure he wants to be starting number eight and, and seven's going to be a backup position and hopefully he mightn't have to play there. But um, someone have someone of his quality was uh, was immense last night. And as you say, we're, we're lucky to have someone like that on the side. We have Gordon Darcy on the line now with James Downey. Gordon, how are you? Not too bad, lads. Good to talk nice to you. Tricks. What did you feel about that last night, Gordon? Um, I was actually at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, got the opportunity to go, brought my uh, young lad to his first international. Ah, great. Yeah, it was brilliant. What's his name and was he was he really buzzed about it? Lennon. Um, um, was he buzzed about it? He was buzzed about the, um, the Club Orange he got going in, <laughs> um, which definitely helped with it. But himself and uh, his uh, friend Otto, they had the try sign made and Go Ireland, go! So yeah, they were pretty. Um, they were pre- they were pretty pretty impressed with the amount of tries. Um, we didn't get rained on, so that was a suppose. Do you remember your first game, Gordon? Do you? My first game of rugby, or my the, first the international? first first international you went to yourself? Oh, the first one I went to. Um, yeah, it was in um, in school. The school, the old schoolboy tickets in uh, in school. So probably fourth year was probably when we were allowed to go. Um, so you had to get a signature from the parents. You got the day bus up from uh, bus, bus up from school, and you had the decision to make. You either sell your schoolboy ticket and probably got fifty pounds for it, or you actually went to the match. Um, so the diehards always went to the match. I was probably 50-50 whether I went to the match or I took the fifty pounds. What did you do? Oh, well, it was 50-50 whether I went, depending <laughs> on who it was. Um, I wasn't quite a diehard at that stage. Do you remember what the first game was, though? Who they played? Um, I think it was, I think it was it was a, a Wales match in '96, and I'm probably going to get that, have that wrong, but I think it was Wales was the first match I went to. James, which was the first match you went to? Oh, I think it was the. I think I went to one of the World Cup in '91. I think when it was on in Ireland. I don't. I wasn't at the Australia game now. Well, you'd remember um, that one. You'd remember that. Yeah, I think it was a it was a Five Nations game then. Um, would have been Five Nations back then. But yeah, no, I. Uh, I agree with Gordon. He used to get those schoolboy tickets and you'd be like very confused. You're gold dust. <laughs> and if you could sell them, you'd make a fortune, yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. How did you feel we did last night, Gordon? Um, Like, the, I think it was reflective of the team that was picked. Um, it was very disjointed. You could see created opportunities, didn't didn't partnerships didn't work that little connections so nobody had a particularly bad game um but the team probably only got a five or six out of ten compared to the high bar we're used to so it was just a first match blowout really um i'd say for a couple of people they needed to do more who were they um, and then just the you know the, the the guys you've the couple of names you've already talked about um sean to the sean to the top like Ken and Doris is just you know his second best position is now is now seven by the looks of things. 
Who needed to do more, Gordon? Um, well, like the kind of the guys on the on the on the on the fringes, really, didn't they? Um, like, I think um, definitely, like you were talking about uh, the back three. I would say Stockdale is probably the one who did the most good things, but also equally frustrating the most more poor things. Um, the game didn't really fall for Keith Earls, and like really, he needs a big needed a big game. Um, and there's pr- pressure coming on Jimmy O'Brien as well, and that kind of utility spot. So definitely, uh, definitely there. Um, there wasn't a there wasn't a huge amount of uh, uh, cohesiveness. Um, centers. Um, I don't think they clicked. The 10, 12, 13 didn't click either. I don't think um I don't think um Stu McCluskey put as good a foot forward as he would have liked to. He was fine, but not didn't stand out. Um Robbie Henshaw looked rusty as well. Um but yeah, like outside of that, there's uh, you know, everybody as I said, like didn't play poorly, but nobody really only the only two or three players really put their mark on the game. It was interesting, Andy Farrell's comments. He singled out the second rows, James, for praise. Uh, Joe McCarthy on his first start with the captain, Ian Henderson. Yeah, I thought Joe was, was pretty impressive. Everything he did, he's, he's a big lad. I um, think you could see when he's coming onto that ball, he, he offers that a little bit more. Um, and Henderson, I think, was was super and Harry Lell. I think there was pressure on him last night to perform. I think he's another one who's obviously going to be under pressure, not, not to get in a plane per se, but just to get to break into that second row partnership that Ireland already have and yeah I don't think Joe did himself any harm last night in that regard and as I say he didn't miss any tackles um, he fronted up and he just goes about his business quietly there's no nothing too flashy about him but everything he, he does he does well and does correctly and, and Andy Farrell seems say, to have a lot of that Sorry. I'd, I'd say they'd offered they covered up a few cracks for Ireland in that they had a bit of a power game that they were able to go to so what did three of the tries come from close, you know, that 22 yeah. entries off penalties? Um, and you're absolutely right. Like Ian Henderson looks like he's fit and properly fit, not just kind of cobbled together. It looks like he's had a good preseason and he's coming in. And, you know, it's that age old uh, thing. You can't teach a man to be 125, 130 kilos. And Joe McCarthy is that. And he was able, those two guys were, and I think that was a key difference for Ireland. They, When they had scoring opportunities, they were able to fall back on that, that like that power game that that they had, and you and I think you're dead right. Both both second rows were really really good. Gordon, you've been the soldier before 2007, 2011 uh, Rugby World Cup warm ups and build ups and preps. And what are the do's and don'ts from being a man who's lived this? I it's it's horrible. Like it's it's almost like um like it depends on which uh, it depends on which uh, category you're in. Like there are players who know they're on the plane barring injury. Um, obviously never going to go into that, but you do have to have a certain level of confidence in your own ability. So there's probably somewhere between 15, 16 players, 17 maybe, that are pretty sure they're going if they don't get injured. For them, it is about trying to peak at the at the games that, that matter. You know, if it's that first one or the second one, trying to go into that. And for the other players, it's trying to, it's trying to put yourself um, on as good a footing as possible. Um, like so 2015 was probably the work the I played the warm-up games um that uh you know I had to try and impress and it just didn't work for me. You know, I remember playing against Scotland and you know, legs were gone, felt heavy, couldn't like I just couldn't do anything. Um whereas previous, you know, warm-ups 
went into them it was like okay well i know i'm playing 20 minutes 30 minutes here i'm off and i'm just getting match practice in regardless how well i play or how i don't play so there was an awful lot of players there playing at the weekend that were trying to impress and you could see that a couple of passes didn't go or a little over eager line being run um and they're trying to trying to get the game to come to them. So in a lot of ways, it does come back to the, um, you know, almost those things you talk about with the under 13s and you're kind of saying, you, you don't chase the game. You've got to play the game, help the team to win. And when you have your opportunity, you know, the one or two opportunities of the game, you've got to take them. Um, but sometimes, you know, games just don't fall for you. And that's really frustrating for a player. So for Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and the coaching staff, they need to manage the anxieties almost. They need to be psychologists as well as coaches in, in, to a degree here. I think so. Yeah, like and I, again, it all it, it it all depends on what conversations they're having with people. And by the sounds of things, and read between the lines, and how settled this camp is, there's very clear conversations having with people, um, and they know where they are in not necessarily in the pecking order, but in this let's call it a squad that you know that where they are in the pecking order of getting into the world cup squad what they need to do what they don't need to do and everybody is on their own little mission their own little um opportunity to impress the coaches so they know what they want they know what they need to do but then you have to do that within the confines of the game plan and you have to be able to look at it so like i looked at i went back and looked at the game this morning and i my initial thing was like craig uh, craig casey and jack crowley for argument's sake were a little underwhelming when I watched them uh, in live. And then I went back and looked at it and actually went, well, actually, they were actually very good. They were very composed. They didn't chase the game. Um, and I thought they managed the, they managed their time on the field really, really, really well. Um, and that's all you can ask for them. But they're two guys who definitely need more game time. And I think that's probably coming to the fore as well. That you're going to go and there's certain people in there that need more game time. And I think Jacob Sockdale would be another one that would benefit from another run out to go, well, is he worth the gamble on that last spot? In 2007, Gordon, it didn't work out for us at all. We didn't get out of the pool in the World Cup. In, in 2011, we lost the warm-up games, but we won the pool and then we lost to Wales. As we know, we were caught against Wales. Could you, when you're looking back at these World Cups, could you pinpoint, yeah, wasn't happy with the prep or the prep was this or we we we, we did everything right in the prep? Can you, I suppose, link a warm-up phase with the with the tournament itself? Sorry, what was that last bit? Can you link what happens in a warm-up phase from your own no, experience? I don't think so. No, no. Well, I think it'll, you'll get a good indication of uh, of of the form go of what form. Yeah, no, it will give you. Sorry, it will give you a, a good indication. Like if you go back to 2015, you know the 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 warm up games were a good indication of where we went. 2019 was the same. 2007, really good indication of where of where we were. Um, and 2011, you know, um, probably a little a uh, little bit of, uh, of of luck. So these games, there will be a template um, for that, and that's and it is. And you look across all the games in the weekend: England, Wales, um, ourselves, Scotland. Like a lot of teams showed. Well, um, Wales showed uh, some interesting some interesting form. Um, I don't think we had enough frontline players in that team to say that was a. An indicative uh, performance for for the World Cup. I'd say you'll get a closer view of that against England. It's funny, James, isn't it? We're kind of playing catch up against the Southern Hemisphere teams because they're in the rugby championship, competitive rugby. You know, if we were playing this after the Six Nations, it'd be much easier. If we're playing a World Cup, say in April or May, than we are now, we almost have to start again. Or is it? Or is it the case that you? can feel that with the conditioning and the technical side and players obviously playing for their provinces that we can get up to speed quite quickly? Um, 
Look, I, I see the Southern Hemisphere sides and and they have had some tough tough fixtures, all right. I do think that the players got a little bit of time off and then they've been brought kind of straight back into, into the camp. So they haven't kind of switched off completely. I'm sure they're, they're still going, going strong. I think it's an interesting look on how... Andy Farrell has approached this World Cup as well. And you kind of look at um on Gatland and how he's um put to well squad through the and back into army camps and and stuff like that. And this one just seems a lot more relaxed. He's given a lot of uh autonomy to the players to go off and do things. This week in Portugal, I think the partners and stuff have been flown out. They're obviously playing this game. It just seems a kind of happier camp. And I think with the happier camp, things will will work on the field as well because everyone knows their jobs everyone knows what they're doing they've had a bit of time to focus on this yes the only thing that they could be missing out on is potentially minutes against quality opposition which is going to be interesting this weekend or next weekend sorry um, against England because England will have played Wales twice uh, and then Austin and I think they play Fiji as well whilst we're only playing the three games and I know some people have said that we're, we're, we're probably playing a lot but like it's it's one strong game and then we play potentially this game next week against Portugal wouldn't read too much into that again but it's uh, it's more a case of England how that looks up and then we're into Samoa and then we're suddenly into it so I think it's enough time to get up to speed you know I think if we were peaking a couple of weeks ago like that's my concern for say for the All Blacks um they're doing it like they've played they've played bloody well you know uh bar the last game maybe against Australia but they've played well um it's a bit kind of early. You don't want to be peaking too early. So that's how I'd kind of look at that situation. And uh, and then if if we do get out of this group, having played these games and gotten a bit of momentum, it's it's a case of who you want or who do you who do you fancy in that? If you fancy France at home or do you fancy trying to take on the All Blacks? One thing I really admire about Andy Farrell, Gordon, is uh, attitude. Like this guy's had such experience. He was a rugby league World Cup player, reached reached the final, lost it. Played in 07 at the England Rugby World Cup. It wasn't in the team in the final, but was in the squad when they reached the final in uh, France. Assisted Lancaster in 15, it was a disaster. And maybe unluckily so, was Don Schmidt's side then in 19, didn't go our way. Um, but he's got a smile on the face of positivity. But I'm sure there's things he'll have taken from all those experiences that will benefit Ireland now in the coming months. That's what we're going to hope for anyway. I think so. And I think like you kind of you kind of asked the question, I'm not sure I answered it well, um, about coaches needing to be amateur psychologists and uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, agony ants. And they kind of do because they need to be on the pulse of the squad. And if you kind of reflect on the 2009 experience, 19 experience, there seemed to be a disconnect between the management and the players, the way the players were feeling versus what the management were thinking. And it just, you know, it, it, they peaked too early and they never really recovered from it. Um, but there does seem to be that relationship between the players and an awful lot of trust. Um, and that's hard earned. Um, but, you know, from uh, from players and from 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 the management side of things, I think Andy Farr brings a huge amount that. Also, I think one of the best and most important um, not signings, but recruitments he made was Paul O'Connell because you now have two really, really um, natural leaders within the management team. Um, And they understand that, you know, they need to know the players and that takes energy and it takes time. So um, they have to spend an awful lot of time with players off the training field to understand them, to what makes them ticks. Because the one thing that is absolutely guaranteed about coaching is it is not a one size fits all. And a lot of coaches 
fall into that uh, type of mentality, which is, you know, I'll treat everybody the same and everything, but you can't treat every, everybody the same. You need to get the best out of every, you need to get the best out of everybody. So it's kind of communicating what's in your head, head in slightly different ways. And that's really important. I think Andy Farrell is really good at that, but he now has Paul O'Connell coming in that. So he doesn't have to do everybody. He can uh, hand over a little bit of that. And all the forwards seem to really resonant they really drawn to Paul he's that type of a uh, player like when we were in the squad uh, and he was uh, captain and when he wasn't captain he was just there he was always the lad in the team room who would park up after dinner with a cup of tea and people naturally end up coming over for the chat and people will come in and coming out but he was always one of those lads who was doing that because it's a great way of feeling and sensing what the actual mood is like in a in in a camp um so these guys yeah all those experiences that Andy Farrell's had as a player and I think what's really, really interesting for, for for me in this is, and I'd love to have played under Andy Farrell, is he was a player. So he also knows what it's like to be at the pinnacle, but also to be on the on the way out. And he's, had, he's been that as a coach as well. Um, so now he will have all of that understanding in his head. So he'll be able to engage with players on a different way than uh, they would have previously been treated and dealt with. And I think that's what the players are really responding well to. James, I suppose players as well can't be thinking about injuries. They could happen, but you you can't hold back, can you? No, certainly can't. And I think that's look, and God mentioned it. It's kind of like your your trials that you have, and in these games where you want to stand out, but then you've got players who know who are, are kind of on the plane and. And they're just trying to wrap themselves up. And that's when you get a little knock. And that's when you pick up an injury. And you saw it happen to the uh, Italian centre last night. You just got to go out there. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can't worry about it too much, really. Um, someone's going to fall down. And that's the probability, you know, we might lose a player, but um, we seem to have a the strong enough squad at the moment that we can, we can withstand an injury. But you got to go out there and give it your all, John. You know, I, I think it's a case you can't leave anything unanswered and said, oh, I maybe should have done that. And look, if, if an injury happened, what can you do? You know, it's it's part of the game. You could get out get out in a plane, get over there, play one game and something happens. So that's the, what the whole squad uh, situation is. But no, I don't think players can can overly read into if they're going to get injured or not. Menoncello, yeah, I felt sorry from last night. Hopefully he's all right and we'll make the World Cup. What do you want to see against England then, Gordon? I would expect Ross Byrne will get a shot. Yeah, I was I was looking at thinking about this again because, um, yeah, it's going to be really really interesting. So it's Ross Byrne will, you know, most likely will most likely start. But you're really in this kind of juxtaposition now where you need Jack Crowley to play to start games and to play minutes, but you also need to see Ross Byrne. So. Um, Ross will likely start against England and there is an awful lot for me in the balance of who plays where within. I think we know which three are going to the World Cup. Um, so what order they're going to be stacked in. And I think that's really so crowd. He was very composed, wasn't spectacular at the weekend, didn't really, you know, I think he only had one, maybe two carries in in anger at the line. Uh, very composed, didn't chase the game. Everything you everything I manage it quite well, everything you'd expect. Um, and we know Ross Byrne can sorry, the one criticism of Jack Crowley's performance, I thought the backline attack was pretty uh was was pretty inept in a lot in a in a, in a lot of ways. Um sorry, inept is probably a strong word, but it was it wasn't great. The backline didn't click at all, but I thought he had a great he had a good game overall. Ross Byrne needs to play, manage, and get the backline moving against England. 
or he could, you know, depending on how things go, um, you would see you could see Jack Crowley uh, coming in as that in that second place. So there's an there is an awful lot coming in that. But I think in these games we're going to learn we're going to learn more about, I'm going to say the the second half of this 33 man squad that's going to the World Cup rather than the the starting players. Yeah, Gordon Darcy, James Downey, great stuff, really insightful. Thanks so much for your time. We look forward to chatting soon ahead of the World Cup. Cheers. Thanks, guys. See you, Jimmy. See you, Dan.